Drive up the 5 freeway about 25 miles north of downtown Los Angeles. Via right just before you hit the grapevine. And you'll run into the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park, which residents call the Beverly Hills of mobile home parks. The homes don't look so much like trailers, but like a hamlet of bungalows nestled in the foothills of the Angeles National Forest. That is until the Sayer Fire, which started a few miles away on Sayer Street, burned most of the homes to the ground. It was one of the most destructive and dangerous fires in recent memory. And later we're going to hear from residents and firefighters about their harrowing escape from Oak Ridge in the moments just before it burned. But first, the day after the fire, a lot of the Oak Ridge residents ended up at the evacuation center at Silmar High School. Nobody had been able to go back to Oak Ridge yet, but they had a list of the homes that were lost. Kathy Crockett, and Elisa Valcarce's homes were on that list. I lived in at Space 396 at the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park, and I lived there for 15 years. Is there anything you wish you'd gotten out? I wish I would have taken maybe some more of my mother's things. My mother had passed away in February, and I had a lot of her stuff at my house because she had also lived at Oak Ridge, and um, I don't even know if I even have a photograph of her. There was a stuffed cat that I think my parents had got before I was born, and I wish I would have thought to have taken the cat. Alicia Valcarce, I lived in space 286 of Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park, and I lived there for four years. My mom had moved out two weeks previously because she was elderly, so she is now living in a boarding care. And there were things of hers that I couldn't take. They didn't fit in the car. She used to paint when I was in high school and college. And I only have one that I actually put as wallpaper on my cell phone. But I didn't get her favorite one out because I thought that we would be coming back. It's a catastrophe for everybody. It's sad for everybody. My name is Jenny Harmon. I'm the manager at Oak Ridge. I've been here, lived here 29 years. There's about 1,700 people that lived here, and they're all family. This is the old Stetson Ranch of Stetson Hat fame. We're on 200 acres. We have 600 homes. I mean, we had a 15,000-square-foot clubhouse. We had two paddle tennis courts, a tennis court, a big pool, two indoor jacuzzis, a putting green. We had an arts and crafts room with a kiln. We had a fully-equipped gym. We had a card room. We had a big uh, library. It was just a wonderful place. Like they said, we are Oak Ridge Mobile Estates, you know, or the Beverly Hills of mobile home parks. Oak Ridge wasn't your standard mobile home park. For one thing, like Ms. Harmon said, its roots go deep into Western history. Silmar means sea of trees. In this case, olive trees, because Silmar was once the site of the world's largest olive groves. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. In 1926, G. Henry Stetson, son of the Hat Company's founder, bought 286 acres tucked at the northern end of the San Fernando Valley and named it Rancho Sombrero. 
Local historian Kevin Roderick writes that the ranch was reputed to have the largest private swimming pool in the country and became an L.A. society hangout. But Stetson got in hot water when his wife called the sheriff on him for getting drunk and holding her captive. Deputies even climbed the fence once to serve a court order on Stetson. In 1958, most of the ranch was sold to the Mormon Church, and 20 years later, a man named Myron Reichert went to Salt Lake City and bought the property from the Mormons. Reichert started building the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park and brought his son Paul into the family business. What a location. That's a big draw for us. A lot of the comments I've received from people here, even after the fires, is that uh, they really don't want to leave such a beautiful place. You know, we have the, the mountains behind the community, and uh, it's kind of a, an escape from, from L.A. Reichert's company, Continental Mobile Housing, put it this way in promotional materials. Oak Ridge is nestled in the foothills of Silmar, just north of Hollywood. Residents are close to the largest and most diverse job market in California, as well as an endless amount of things to see and do. Beautiful surroundings, modern amenities, and a strong sense of community make Oak Ridge one of Southern California's premier manufactured home communities. It's not really just north of Hollywood, but according to residents, much of the rest of that is true. Yvonne Witkowski, who lost her mobile home in the fire, just turned 75. She moved in 20 years ago. What prompted you to move here? I heard about it for a woman I worked with, and my first thought was, I don't want to live in a trailer. And she says, no, we don't call them trailers, they're mobile homes. So I came up, fell in love with the first model we saw, and we bought it. Residents like to say Oak Ridge was like one big happy family, but in many cases, it was literal. Whole clans moved to Oak Ridge. Daughters bought a home to be near their mothers. And before being called to military service, Ricardo Ariola also lived here for a time with his grandmother. She had lived before in San Fernando, just a couple miles away from here in the city of San Fernando. Uh, she sold her house and she came over here. It's a very nice community. It's one of the only ones of its kind. It was a very secured and secluded area. Right here in the park. Yeah, inside the park. It was a part of the San Fernando Valley. As you see, it's like up against the mountains, but it was just kept secret from the rest of the valley. She plans on coming back as soon as everything is rebuilt and done. Oak Ridge sounds sort of like it was a throwback. You do kind of get the feel that Oak Ridge was stuck in time. The place still has the kind of a ranchy feel with the mountain range looming above, people talking about the jackrabbits and the coyotes, about parties at the community center, dinners at each other's houses. The fire ruined all that. Well, you know, when you're governor, you get woken up at 3 in the morning and you're told that there's a fire. And they sometimes start at one place and then all of a sudden you hear there's another one in Southern California and there's another one near Los Angeles and another one at a, a trailer park, you know, and a few hours later you find out that the whole trailer park went up in flames and uh, the fires was moving so fast, you know, that they had winds of 50, 60, 70 miles an hour and vegetation, everything was very, very dry. And also there was tremendous heat up to 100 degrees. So I think that that is, of course, the perfect storm. And uh, as I've said, we see this kind of severe fire conditions more and more now in California. 
And we don't see it just in the fall, but we see it throughout the year. So this is a whole new challenge for the state of California. That was the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, at Oak Ridge, where he was taking a tour of the wreckage in December. Frank, do they know what caused the fire? That's actually still under investigation. But what we do know is that the Sayre fire started Friday night about two miles east of Oak Ridge in the foothills just above Veterans Park in Silmar. Thirteen hundred Sayer Street, Veterans Park. What's the problem? Tell me exactly what happened. Uh, well, there's actually a, a. It started as a small fire, and it just—it's crazy. It's all over the mountain. It's a brush fire. My wife comes home about ten fifteen, ten thirty. At Oak Ridge, Jeff Elwood's wife was just coming home from a wake. She comes into the house and says, you know, Jeffrey, there's a fire. It looks like it's up at the top of Polk somewhere. That's a a major street a couple uh, miles away. Yeah. And she says, well, I'm going to go in and take a shower. I'm going to bed. I'm exhausted. So I decided to go out and take a look up the street to see what's going on. I sat on my porch with my neighbors. It was so windy on my porch. It was like a hurricane. All my little chimes and stuff, they were sideways. I I saw a glow in the sky, and I said, oh, we're going to have another false alarm, which we had about a month ago, before this one, and the fire didn't come near us. The foothills above the northern San Fernando Valley see a lot of fire. Just a month earlier, the Merrick fire had forced the evacuation of Oak Ridge. So I ran outside, and I could see the flames right over here in the northeast corner. Jesus, the entire thing just went up all the trees. We, I heard radio chatter about the mobile homes being threatened, and it was a rising level of concern amongst the officers that were here. Captain Roger Duke has been with the Los Angeles City Fire Department for more than two decades. I've uh, seen a lot of fires in my times, and this was uh, unique in that the winds were tremendous. 60 to 70 mile an hour winds and shifting erratically. Fire paramedics, operator 33, what is the address of the emergency? I went back into the house, I grabbed the phone, I started calling the neighbors. And if they didn't answer, I went over and started knocking on doors. Is this a Silmar, ma'am? Yes. Okay, you haven't heard any sirens go by your house? Um, no, I just really saw a helicopter. Okay, well that's why the helicopter's there, ma'am, they know about it. When we got up there, you know, all the helicopters started showing up at LA County, LA City. First time in there, none of the um, mobile homes were on fire yet. But the wind was blowing near hurricane strength. The winds would shift erratically and spray flames in every direction. Residents and firefighters described it as a firestorm. We saw flames shooting up from behind that mountain. Um, I heard from the fire department that there were 150 to 200 foot flames. When we started to see the flames, that's when we knew This is serious, so I left about 12.30. But Jeff Elwood's wife was of a different opinion. It's past midnight now, and I go back into the house. My wife's still kind of not getting out of bed. I turned the light on. I pulled the suitcase out, and I said, start filling these suitcases with what you want to take. And it was just like, you know, you stand in, in your house, your living room, and something that you've worked for all your life, and you don't know what to take. You know, everything's important. I just wound up taking, like, three outfits for work and some hair stuff. 
Because in my heart, I knew I was coming back. Were you able to grab anything? Just, Just the business. When you say the business, you mean like a laptop, like well, a computer? Well, no, I, I have a business, um, high-pressure steam cleaning. We had um, a couple of machines. We were only able to take one of them out. So while I was waiting for Adam to hook it up, I ran in and grabbed my payroll. When he came back, we left. That was it. And uh, instinctively, that's what I took, which is interesting. <laughs> She's a businesswoman. It's a pretty practical decision. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic to have a wife like that. <laughs> yeah. The last time we heard from Candy and Adam Kessler, they were packing up. And the Sayer fire was moving towards Oak Ridge. There was police department everywhere up here telling us to get out with bullhorns. Just get out. Everybody get out. And there were literally fireballs coming off the trees in the wind, just shooting everywhere. It looked like a war zone. It was chaos. The streets were chaos. There was smoke. I could feel the fear. I, You know, listen, I'm going on 60 years old, and I've never never felt anything like that in my life. As LAPD officers were trying to clear people out, Fire Captain Roger Duke arrived on scene. When I arrived, um, I could see like 30 mobile homes were on fire, and it was heading toward this street. So we got hose lines out. The fire made its first attack on the east side of the park. Duke and his men made their stand on Stetson Street in the center of Oak Ridge. By the time we got that done, which was a guesstimate of three minutes to five minutes, the fire had already got to the top of the street here. There were and, and, and that's uh, what? Maybe 15 units up from where we were sitting. 15 units, that's 15 homes away from Captain Duke and two other battalions of firefighters. And now the Santa Ana winds were barreling down the mountainside towards the firefighters. We would get flames blow down on us and all the way across the street. The wind would shift to 90 degrees and, and it would just hammer us. Most of the guys were going down to their knee and putting your back to the flame and just holding your breath until the wind would let up. I turned away at one point with my firefighters and when I turned back, two more houses were on fire. They would explode. The fire would be blowing out the windows 15 to 25 feet. Almost looked like it would blow up. Captain Duke and his men were engulfed in smoke and intense heat. The park was blanketed in a dark, noxious cloud. There was no drop that night that was easy. Visibility would be good for just a second, and then it would close down in front of you. Helicopter pilot Scott Bowman, a 27-year veteran of the department. You're just getting bounced around the whole time. If you could imagine being caught in like a tumbler or a dryer. You know, I, I flew by and there was a palm tree out my right door and it wasn't burning and all of a sudden it just boom, blew up. It was at its ignition temperature and it took one brand to hit it and it just blew up like that right outside the window. I made the mistake, I had my window open. Back on the ground, the firefighters stood on their hose lines shooting water only to have the wind whip the water back 90 degrees. My members were starting to pull back, you know, closer and closer to the engine, bunching up more and more around myself and the other captains. Generally, they're aggressive, and they'll disperse and do what they need to do. And when things start to get nasty or extremely dangerous, people start getting closer and closer to it. Actually, you're starting to become a physical contact with them. Captain Duke said when the water pressure dropped and the hose lines went soft, so did any hope of beating the fire. The fire was just moving right past us. The water we were putting into it had no effect. That's when it was quite clear that we weren't making 
a whole lot of difference in this thing. And then we did say, you know, hey, it's time to leave. We got to go. Just leave the hose. We're leaving. Just drop it and go. We got to go. So, how often do you leave hoses behind I've, like I've, that? I've uh, never done that before. Right now, it's kind of a dead zone. For about four or five straight days, the turkey vultures circled this park. I was, something dead here, and then I'm looking at a refrigerator laying on its side, and I go, ah, that's what it is. All these refrigerators that went up, they're all full of food. My name's Jeff Elwood. I live in Space 580 at Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park. Uh, we have lost our home. The odd things that you do when you know you have to leave in a hurry I was filling up the night case, the toothbrush, the combs. I saw my harmonica sitting there, and for some strange reason, I just picked them up and put them in the bag. I have no idea why I did that. But I am glad that I did, because it's a little bit of solace every night when I'm sitting around, and I'm not sitting in my living room, and I'm not enjoying my music, so I just pull out the harmonica, play to my cats. <laughs> Let me see if I can do the train whistle. One of my neighbors up above, he just got done remodeling his kitchen. He was looking forward to Saturday morning cooking the first breakfast. And the saddest one, the saddest one for me is my good buddy, Kim Derrick. He lost his wife two months ago. You know, he lost his home. That's the toughest one there, folks. I can't complain about my existence. Think about what that poor guy's going through. Most people were underinsured. We were uninsured. A couple years back, things were getting tough. Uh, my wife had to have a major surgery. Uh, she had cancer. Thank God they were able to get it all. And, and then I hurt myself working, blew a disc out a little bit, so I had to rehab that for about a year. And in those tough times, we had to let a few things lapse, and one of them was, unfortunately, our insurance on the house. So. That was Jeff Elwood, the poet bluesman of Oak Ridge. He'll be back later to tell us more stories of Oak Ridge. Two days after the fire swept through Oak Ridge, residents got their first glimpse of the park as rescue teams with cadaver dogs were still searching for bodies. Thankfully, no one died in the fire. Authorities got some city buses and filled them with residents. A police officer was on every bus. And so were L.A. County mental health experts like Theon Perkins, who tells us this story. There had to be at least 25 to 35 people on the bus. The police officer introduced himself. He was very, very personable, just telling him to call him Brian. And he really stressed everybody, I will get to everybody. Everybody will have an opportunity to see their plays. As we drove up to the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park, it just got silent. It was a very strong smell of fire and burnt materials, and it was just floored. It was so level, you couldn't identify anything. The fire was so hot that it could warp large pieces of metal. 
some of the victims mentioned, my God, look at that. The metal frames that held these mobile homes up, they were warped and bent like somebody just took silly putty and twisted it around. People couldn't get oriented. I remember specifically a family asking me, have they called Pinto Street yet? They didn't know where they were. You know, then someone would yell out, oh, there's the clubhouse. It's to the right, so these have to be these streets. Um, somebody would yell out, stop, stop, that's my house. Or what used to be my house, because they could see maybe a ceramic pot that was still standing. Or there's the remains of my gate. Something else that was pretty amazing. There were for sale signs that were not cinched at all. But the house is leveled, gone. You could not step out of the bus because you could still see things smoldering and it was just too dangerous at that point. There was a gentleman on the bus that was very, very angry and we had gotten to a stop where someone needed to lean on the window towards where he was sitting so they could take a picture. And he really didn't want to move. And he kind of snapped back and was really he was very angry, and he was angry at, this has happened to me, you know, and why has it happened to me? And Brian, he said, there is no rhyme or reason to this. Please understand that. Your house is still here. It was just miraculous. I pulled up and then saw the one house in about an acre of wreckage. Off-ramp contributor Jackson Musker met up with a couple whose home survived. We were in a hotel room and the news came on Saturday morning, and we saw our house, and we started to scream and jump up and down. It was a miracle. But we weren't sure, because the folks next to us burned from the inside out from embers that got under it. So you never know. So when we saw it the next morning, and they were talking about the devastation, except for this little miracle house, well, that's just the way I feel. It was the cottage that could. You you were talking before about the the various gods that were protecting this house. Could yes, you could you say that? Our tiki gods. There's one by the front door and there's one by the back door, and I believe in them wholeheartedly. Now, <laughs> you tell them what their names are. Well, there's Loki in the front and Lono in the back, but I it was a combination of the Christian and the Polynesian gods that protected our house. Let's take a look at what's what's right outside. Surprisingly enough, the grass that was in the green area is still very green. So that was the water drop that we got. They put a water drop with some Fostex in it. It's all over the side of the house, but the house is standing and the water drop was effective. That and the fact that right next to us, about five feet down from us, carport collapsed, and it's a metal carport. It collapsed towards our residence, so it acted as a shield against metal. the flames. I feel terribly upset about what has happened here is unfair to the other people. We have survived, they haven't. That's unfair. Oak Ridge was the second mobile home park in Silmar to be destroyed by a fire this fall. In October, the nearby Sky Terrace Mobile Lodge was leveled by the Merrick Fire. And so lawmakers are calling for stricter building and safety standards at mobile home parks. Quina's is going to talk about some of those efforts. Uh, Quina, when I think of trailer parks, I think flimsy and flammable. 
Is anyone saying if there had been regular homes in this particular spot that they wouldn't have burned? I'd say most people feel that this fire was sort of the perfect storm of fires. I think what was so jarring was how quickly it moved through the park and how devastating it was. It looked like a bomb just came down on top of it. Here's what L.A. Fire Department Captain Roger Duke had to say about fighting the Oak Ridge Fire. The best way I could describe it was that they would explode. There would be fire in one. Within minutes, the one next to it would almost look like it would blow up. We like to say they're made out of sticks and glue, you know, they're plywood and plastic, so they just, they ignite. So Captain Duke is saying that the mobile homes seem to burn easier than, quote, regular homes. But let me play you this tape. Uh, so, no, the, the building materials, especially nowadays, are pretty much identical. Who's that? Well, that's Glenn Bell. He lives in a neighboring mobile home park in Silmar, and he's been an advocate of making mobile home parks safer. What he's saying is that some of the perceptions that we have of mobile homes are outdated. There was a span of time between the 70s when the, the aluminum siding was used, which was highly flammable. These are the things that local politicians jump on. You heard Alarcon and all the local politicians complaining about the narrowness of the lots, right? Well, we got to get better spacing. Look at the distance between this home and the next home that was over there. We're talking 35 feet. Now, Quina, I guess that last reference is to the space between mobile homes. And I know there's been talk that mobile homes are just packed too tightly, more tightly than regular homes, and that this kind of makes it easier for fire to jump from one home to the next. And it also makes it harder for the firefighters to get in between the houses. Mm -hmm. I think firefighters do feel that if the homes were spaced further apart in Oak Ridge and in general in mobile home parks, that they could have saved a lot more homes. So Bell's saying that construction isn't an issue among the almost 5,000 homes in the state, and therefore we don't need to tighten standards? I think what Bell's main thrust is that there's a lot to do by simply focusing on the safety of the park itself. In fact, he was one of the people who worked with State Senator Alex Padilla, who's got a bill up right now that incorporates some of his ideas. We came up with proposals. One is, of course, fire hydrants. Any manufactured housing community built before, I believe, 1987 was not required to have fire hydrants in them. In my manufactured housing community, it's a quarter mile to the nearest fire hydrant to my house. Another thing is to have some kind of emergency evacuation plan. If you look here, there's one way in and one way out. And you have uh, 600 homes here to get out of one hole. And that same hole is the same hole that the fire people are coming in on. So Bell seems resistant to looking at upgrading the mobile homes themselves. Why? I think what he wants everybody to keep in mind is that mobile home owners are pretty vulnerable lot. They have made this huge investment to buy this home, upwards of $100,000, but they don't own the land. And so what he's saying is if the law isn't written carefully, the mobile homeowners might end up being screwed out of their investment. You know, what do you say, Quina, we give the last word on this issue to Governor Schwarzenegger? I happened to catch up with him at Oak Ridge where he was doing an interview with 60 Minutes. And when I asked him about mobile home standards, he echoed Bell's concerns that the crux of the debate comes down to the bottom line. Because, as you know, people are upset when it costs $100,000 one day to build a mobile home like that. And then uh, 
it's $140,000 because now you build that home with fire retardant materials. They say, wait a minute, you made the costs go up. Well, I don't have the money now. There's always that fight of how do you meet in the middle so you can protect more people and more property, but at the same time still make it affordable. Stand in the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park and look in any direction and all you see are burned down homes. Here is space number 330 and you walk on to the lot here and it's just a pile of charred debris. Tons of cups and plates that are all broken and charred black. There's an old wheelbarrow over here. Over here they've lined up some charred and twisted golf clubs. And then over here is a ceramic plaque. Somebody's pieced it back together and it says, don't forget to add the love, exclamation point. Queen, one of the miracles to come out of the Oak Ridge fire is that everyone made it out alive. A miracle? Probably as close to one as you can get, considering that the fire whipped through Oak Ridge so fast, and there were a lot of senior citizens who lived at Oak Ridge. And I guess a lot of them couldn't walk or were otherwise immobile. One of the more dramatic rescues the night Oak Ridge burned was that of Barbara Getzinger. She's 82 years old, 300 pounds, and had been bedridden for two years. LAPD Deputy Chief Michael Moore begins the story. We pulled into this neighborhood because we knew that this one kind of jutted into the mountain face. And that's where we happened upon this situation where these two firefighters, they had this woman that was substantial in her size and was immobile. And those two firefighters could not remove her in the places going up. She was obviously had been living out of this bed for some time. She had all of her books and materials and paperwork and so forth strewn about. And initially she didn't want us into her house. She's just saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Leave. The one scary point for me was when we made entry into the residence, one of the firefighters was the last one in, and he closed that door. I said to myself, why is he closing that door? we got to get out. Well, the reason why is the wind was blowing the embers so hard, he didn't want those embers to catch our only escape route on fire. We began coaxing her, assuring her that we would lock the door and, and we'd make sure that it, you know, it would be safe. And, and I just recall him thinking to myself, you know, we'll, we'll all be lucky to get out of here. They had gone into that back bedroom to deal with the lady, and I had yelled out, are we using the gurney? And somebody yelled out, no. And I looked, there was no path. So I immediately started clearing an area from the front door, working my way through the kitchen. But in the very beginning, when I started moving her furniture, I was doing it neatly because I didn't want her to get mad when she came back. And then I'm hearing all these noises. What do you mean noises? uh, You could hear popping and crackling and then the wind, obviously. And I just started to take the furniture and then throw it across the room. It took all of us to, to get her out of there. She wasn't carried as much as she was pulled. Uh, and, you know, I, we apologize to her because she was, you know, uh, it, it, she was manhandled. This is Barbara Getzinger. I moved into Oak Ridge, I think it was 1984. My husband had passed away in 1980, and I've been bedridden for the last two years. I figured if the house went, then I went with it, so be it. You were ready to die? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be 82 the end of this month. So I've lived a full life. 
Had you thought about death before that night? Uh, yeah, occasionally. I came close to dying a number of years ago when I was still living in Chicago. And my appendix ruptured. And from that point on, death has held no fear for me. It's an awful thought to think about dying that way. If that was to be, if meant to be, it was going to be. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't meant to be because I'm still here. <laughs> So, Frank, how did Oak Ridge work? I mean, did people just drive their homes or trailers up to the park and ask to rent a space? Actually, instead of answering that myself, I'm going to have Candy and Adam Kessler give you the nuts and bolts of how Oak Ridge worked. I asked them what brought them to Oak Ridge in the first place. You know, first of all, it was very economical in comparison with everything going on in California. It's always maintained impeccably. The owners and Jenny Harmon, Our park manager, park manager, ran this with an iron fist, but it was impeccable. From the pool to the streets, we didn't lock our doors here. I probably shouldn't say that. It's like a little Mayberry here. No, seriously, it really was. It was our little city. And when you say uh, Jenny ran it with an iron fist, what do you mean? She didn't let anybody let their yards go because it kept the value up. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I was over at the um, evacuation center. Didn't have one thing that showed that I lived here. I happened to find in my car, I had gotten written up, we added an overhang in the backyard. That was my proof of ID that I lived here. Now you all said uh, one of the reasons you moved here was it was affordable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what would it cost to rent a space here? It depends where you lived in the park. Our space rent averaged around 700 a month here, and that included water in your trash. And they maintained everything from the parks. And then you would bring on your own modular units. Well, you would purchase that. And, oh, it, it was, was already here. here. You, you bought okay. your home. Space rent was separate. Okay. What were home prices around here typically? We bought this house for about $100,000, and I had uh, 2,000 square feet. And that was uh, six months ago? Six months ago. Have you guys lived in other mobile home parks? Yes. Yes, we yes. have. We had lived at Greenbrier many, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, in Santa Cruz. And again, their space rent is the same, but there's nothing that beats the quality of this park. Nothing, seriously. On a Sunday morning, I come out to pick up the newspaper, and I notice a bunch of lawn damage to three of my neighbors in a row. It looked like somebody might have drove up and over onto the lawns and tore them up. I go about three houses down, and there are three Mexican potbelly pigs rooting in the grass. It was almost like the three little pigs. There was one that was about 250 pounds, one at about 125 pounds, and a little one. And uh, lo and behold, one of the guys that walked around the corner was an old farm boy. So he understood him. Heck, he got up there and he just did this. He picky, picky, picky. And he does this, something with his hands and they come right up to him. And then he shows me. He says, see here, Jeff, see how their teeth are capped? These are kept pigs. These are what he calls eaten pig. Eaten pork is what they are. Mexican potbelly pigs. It's good bacon.
Oak Ridge is home to a lot of senior citizens. We heard earlier from Barbara Getzinger, who's in her 80s, and it makes you wonder how they're getting through this. I mean, even at my age, I can't imagine having to deal with insurance, finding a place to live, rebuilding my life. Well, we caught up with Herb Jensen to talk a little bit more about these issues. All bark, no bite. Well, as you see, I'm somewhat disabled. He's a senior citizen who moved into one of those huge apartment complexes just a few miles away from Oak Ridge after the fire. I was one of the more elderly people there. I am 88 years old. And uh, the night of the 15th, next day, and my daughter looked at me and she looked very sad. She says, Daddy, it's bad. The whole park burned down. I was just shocked, you know, and started to think, oh, what have I lost? And I became quite a bit uh, choked up. In fact, uh, it's getting to me at this moment. I've been here one week today. It's rather an extensive complex. <laughs> I've got trouble finding anything. Even turning on the TV, I'll tell you, it's one of these huge, high-definition uh, monsters. Boy, when I first looked at it, I thought it was kind of scary. The enormous amount of paperwork connected with insurance and housing and agencies wanting to help, I couldn't have handled it alone. It was overwhelming. Just yesterday, I got a letter from the insurance company wanting to settle, and uh, they have an error in this proposed settlement that now I have to go back, and my son-in-law will go back and say, hey, this is wrong. It's a new experience. I'd rather be back where we were, but that, of course, is not possible. That was Herb Jensen, one of the oldest residents of Oak Ridge. Mr. Jensen seems pretty settled, and so you could say that the story ends here. But as you know, Frank... A lot of mental health experts say that it's not until way later that people really start processing the strains and the trauma of an event like this. And since we can't go into the future to see how some of the Oak Ridge folks fared, I thought we could talk to my mother, Mary Stoltz. It did not come to me till later how much this had affected my husband. My parents lost their home in the 1991 painted cave fire in Santa Barbara, a fire that also burned about 500 homes. I think it had a profound effect on him. My father, who was also named Frank, died in 1998, eight years after the fire destroyed their home. It was a home he had always wanted up on a hill overlooking Santa Barbara, where they had lived since the early 1960s. I think one of the things you must remember is that Dad valued his privacy. When you lose your home, you lose your privacy. You are now dealing with many, many people. You have moved to a new place. He became vulnerable because you are in many ways at the mercy of people. And another thing that he hated more than anything is people were sympathetic to us. And I don't think he really wanted people feeling sorry for him. My mother says my father lost more than she did in the fire, all of his family's old photos and letters. But it's clear the two of them had very different attitudes about the loss. Mom threw herself into rebuilding a new home. 
She says dad, then 65 years old and retired, had little interest. When he would get involved, it would be in some small thing that it, which side was the doorbell on. You made the decision, well, I decided, and then it was all wired. And then he'd say, well, I don't care, tear it all out and put it on the other side. I would just ask him to go help me look at carpet. And he would really be in a bad mood with the carpet people, almost like it's their fault. Finally, the builder of the house one time, I said to Mark, why don't you and Frank go down and look at something? And um, he said to me, Mary, I don't want to do that. He said, it's just too hard on Frank. I think the fire had sometimes the same effect the war had on him. I should add here, my dad saw combat in World War II as a paratrooper. Particularly when we moved in the new house. Here's this brand new, lovely home, but he would just say, it'd be the same as living in a motel that looks like it's somebody else's, because it was all new things and new pictures and new this. And he said, this could be anybody's house. Uh, I don't think I really saw him happy after that fire. going to give the last word today to 74-year-old Shirley Hunt, who was among those who lost her home at the Oak Ridge Mobile Home Park. This looks like an amazing garden that you once had. It was oriental, uh, yes. And then this was a little walkway through here. Yes. I don't know if we can get back there without well, be careful, hurting ourselves. But, yeah. Let's see. And this was a huge apple tree that was bearing fruit. Too bad. So I'm no longer going to garden. Being an apartment dweller, there's no garden. So, so it's like the end of one uh, life and beginning a new life. It'll be a memory one day. It'll be story to tell. That you were in the big Silmar fire that destroyed this community. But that's all it'll be. 